0: go ahead and open it to the book of Matthew. We'll be looking at verses 27 to 32 this morning as we continue in our fall series uh, looking at the Sermon on the Mount. Before I read this text for us, just a reminder of where it sits in the bigger picture that uh, two weeks ago, well, or three weeks ago actually, um, Jesus moved towards the the topic of the law in his sermon and said, I did not come to abolish it, I came to fulfill it. And uh, then he ends that, that paragraph there with, uh, you know, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and of the Pharisees, uh, surely you will not uh, enter, um, enter heaven. Um, and what he's, what he's been doing, uh, certainly last week and this morning and then for the next few weeks, is he's looking at and using examples of the ways that, that, that people have looked to the law and have thought, I can do this on my own. I can can become righteous on my own. And what has actually happened is they've taken the law and misused it and twisted it and changed it and combined some things so that they can actually make it manageable. They can actually, um, uh, it was codified, as we said, so that they aren't murdering people. Therefore, they're keeping the law. And what I want us to remember, again, before we read the text, is that Jesus is coming to this as, hey, um, you have heard this said before like this, but let me tell you what it really means, which means he's coming with authority. We had not really talked about that yet. Um, he's coming with authority. There was a Volkswagen commercial a while back, and it was, it was playing the song Rocket Man by Elton John. And if you know that song, you know that for anybody that sings that song in their car or if you have, there are that many different versions to the chorus because we really don't know what he's saying. We just sing what we think he is saying. And the commercial was brilliant because they, you know, had examples of Rocket Man burning out uh, this useless telephone, uh, burning up the room with cheap cologne, um, and on and on and on and on. The correct lyric is Rocket Man burning out his fuse up here alone. And I start here to say, Jesus is what he's doing. I don't want us to lose lose sight of this, especially with our topic. What Jesus is doing is saying, hey, you've got the lyrics wrong. And when you get the lyrics wrong, right, as it pertains to the law in this case, you do a disservice and an injustice to its creator and its author. You harm other people. And just as if Elton John, to stick with that illustration, would come to us this morning and say, no, this is the lyric. You know why? Because I wrote it. Jesus is coming with that same authority in this section. And I'm not going to spend too much time on that in our sermon, but I want us to, to remember that. He's coming with that same type of authority to say, no, 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 you've got the lyric wrong. Here's the right lyric, and here's why. This, here's why you need a righteousness that's not your own, because you are failing to keep it. So with that, let's hear God's word to us, beginning in verse 27, chapter 5, as the one who has authority to actually tell us what the word is and what it means. Verse 27, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your eye, right eye, causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell." Verse 31, it was also said whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray and ask God to teach us his word this morning. Heavenly Father, we pray now that you would do a miracle and by a miracle, that you would soften hardened hearts, that your word would go into our hearts, such as, such as a word, a seed goes into good soil and produces a fruit, that it would penetrate deep into those layers of our heart that are hardened, that your word may produce a fruit, that it would change us, that it would lead us to you and know you more. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm going to stay with the format as of last week. We're going to look at two things, really, the misuse of the law and then the proper use of the law. So the misuse of the law and the proper use of the law as Jesus directs us here in this text. So let's begin with the misuse of the law. What what is the the problem here? What what are um, people doing? And Jesus moves to the seventh commandment here. Last week he was in the sixth, but he moves to the seventh commandment. Thou shalt not commit adultery, and he likens in this uh, text, the seeds of adultery to lust, just as the seeds of murder are anger, because both of those are hatred towards one another. It has always been God's design that marriage was a commitment between a man and a woman. And we can go back to Genesis 1 and look at that. Um, It states there that a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Paul will actually double down on this in Ephesians 5. But why do I bring this up? We talk about the priority of marriage from these texts. That is uh, the priority of this new family that is leaving their older families, as it were, to start this new family with the emphasis on commitment here. We also talk about the, um, the purpose of marriage, which is oneness. As you notice there in Genesis 1, the two shall become one that's the purpose of marriage. Paul says the same thing and he says it like this. Though he says he says the mystery is profound talking about the oneness of the wife of the husband and the wife, but he says I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church, which means he is actually saying that marriage creates a relationship, a unique relationship that pictures the gospel unlike any other relationship. It pictures God's commitment in a unique way unlike any other relationship, right? The, the God the Father, right? And the church's bride. Uh, it pictures the oneness that they are because of his union with Christ. It pictures a new family in our adoption into the family of God. It pictures the natural self-living, self-giving love of God or the, the sacrifice of God, right? To give of himself, which we see in creation. We also see in him creating us, Such that a man and a woman do when they create and bring life into the world and the sacrifice that that is, right? Remove any one of these things, whether it's commitment, gender, right? Oneness, sacrifice, and you remove and you distort something about the gospel, which is something about who God is and who His character is. In other words, you change the lyrics. And that's just what men here specifically in this text are doing and have done to the seventh commandment so that they can say that I am not committing adultery because I have successfully, according to Moses, divorced my wife, and now I can go and do what I want to do. They were changing the lyrics of the song to fit their own needs, to fit their own ends, and in so doing, completely distorting the intention of the law, which is distorting the author and his purpose behind it, which is ultimately the oneness that he will have with his church that marriage points towards. Well, what were they doing? stated it already, but if we go back to Deuteronomy 24, Moses does give permission for divorce. Now, That's another topic in and of itself. I'm positive we'll touch on it this week, perhaps in that podcast we're doing. Um, But just like any of us, when we are given an inch, we take a mile. As it pertains to our own selfish endeavors, right? We can say that there is real reason for people to get divorced. And Jesus acknowledges this, right? There's sexual infidelity, which is a reason to get divorced. There's abandonment. Right, And I would actually go so far as to say that physical abuse can also be a a reason to get divorced. All of those go against the wedding vows of oneness that those folks have made. But they are looking at this and saying, well, gosh, if all I got to do is give my wife a piece of paper— And tell her she's divorced because, remember, men had all the power, all the control in this culture. So there's also an element of protection here behind this commandment of women specifically and children specifically. But men were doing whatever they wanted to do. If I just need to divorce my wife so that I don't break the commandment, so I can go carry out the desires of my heart with somebody else and therefore not commit adultery, then I'll do it. Here's what one scribe wrote as, here are reasons why you can— extend this paper that Moses offered, the certificate to divorce your wife. It said a man could divorce his wife if he grew cool, C-O-O-L, cool, towards her. Hmm. I'm sure that's never happened to a wife in this room towards her husband, right? You've never grown cool, which is just to say, mm, mm, right? But don't answer it out loud. Um, another uh, wrote this that you could actually divorce your wife if you did not like her cooking. And I'm not making that up. So this is not the law, obviously, that we read in Deuteronomy. This, this is, these are later expressions of the law that man has put together. And again, enter into the righteous anger of this. This distorts God's law. This distorts His character. It doesn't protect. Right? It doesn't value and, and hold up to the image of what he is trying to point us to in marriage, which is the oneness of God and his people, which is the commitment that he is giving towards his people, and all of those other things, right? It is simply, I want something else, but I'm going to hold to the letter of the law, which is what we looked at last week, in order to get it. Means this, I'm not going to commit adultery. I'm going to divorce my wife first, and I'm going to go and carry out whatever it is that I want. And that's what they were doing. And Jesus is essentially saying, your efforts to get a divorce do not keep you from the spirit of the law if you have already thought about the act of sex with another, if you've already thought about what it would be like to talk with this person in an inappropriate way be next to that person, right, to entertain thoughts and ideas even of what it would be like to laugh with that person because they get you. All the things that you would desire, sexual or not, in somebody else's wife. And this this gets to, you know, what what the spirit of the seventh commandment really is, and we need to talk about this, right? What is the spirit of the seventh commandment? Well, as we said last week, with, with any commandment, right? The opposite of that commandment is also true. So the Ten Commandments is the moral law, and that is we are, we are to hold to that until we go to be with Jesus or until he returns because it reflects the character of God. And so to, to say you shall not murder is not just to sort of limit it to its letter, just a little recap, but to actually work towards the preservation, the, rest, the, the reconciliation and the restoration of individuals. Such is the case for adultery. It's not just to not commit adultery. It's also to work towards could be your marriage in this case the 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 you know the flourishing we'll say of that relationship. But if you're not married, it's also to use a more modern phrase to be a homewrecker in that sense, right? To to be somebody who doesn't try to work towards uh, the the betterment of that relationship, right? So that's the spirit. It's catching all of these things, and Jesus is saying that the seeds of that that sin, the seeds of of adultery, they are in us. It's not just in the act. It is in the ideas of lust, right? The ideas of of your motives and your heart towards somebody, which is why we're leveled again. We all have that, and he will get to that in a second. But I think it's important for us to to stop here. We didn't do this last week, unfortunately, to talk about anger, but we need to talk about what, what is lust, actually, because I think there are some confusions about this, and it's going to be helpful for us when we get to the second point. What, what is lust here? I want to define it as this. Lust is a desire on steroids. It's a desire on steroids. Lust is a cousin to coveting and stealing. You could say that. It is simply wanting something that doesn't belong to you and desiring it so much that by thinking about it over and over and over and having it, you can't stop until it's yours. Lust is burning or out-of-control desires for something that doesn't belong to you. And often uh, the fun of this, if we're aware of it, is the joy and the pleasure we get in theft, the joy and the pleasure that we get in just doing something wrong for wrong's sake. There's there's a buzz to that. This is what it is. Now, the type of lust that Jesus is talking about in this passage is sexual lust or desiring another man's wife. Again, the men had all the power and control in this culture. But it needs to be stated, especially in today's context, that lust, sexual or not, is not something that only men deal with. So let's go to the obvious. What is so prevalent in our culture when we talk about lust? Well, we can talk about the the, uh, accessibility of pornography in our culture. And when we do that, depending on your generation, right, you will naturally think of that being simply a man's problem. So for you in this room, that is not always the case today. And we just need to know that that more and more like pornography is becoming something that is consumed by women as well. As a matter of fact, in, in, in the Get New um, uh, market data that they are doing on, on all things um, related to viewership on the internet and, and, and who looks at pornography and all this stuff, from 2013 to 2017, there was a 1,400% increase increase in what what. What people in the, the the business would call female-friendly pornography, and this is their take. This indicates they say a shift to meet uh, the needs of, of a more diverse audience. They say it is a clear indication that the pornography industry is evolving to become more inclusive and accommodating to the desires of women. And this statistic is a powerful reminder that the pornography industry is no longer a what male dominated space, but rather a space that is increasingly welcoming to all genders. Sexual lust is not just a male problem anymore. It is very much a female problem. And you and I, we need to be aware of that, especially in our discipleship, especially in our conversations with one another. Uh, And this does cut across generations what was not even a, a, a fraction of the problem, to one generation, is now drinking from a fire hydrant to another. And that's the Internet and the excess of pornography. And it, 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 as we'll get to, it will destroy you. Okay. Two, though, while I'm still aware that sexual lust is not everyone's struggle, doing a, hopefully a good job of covering everybody's bases here, that doesn't mean, though, that lust is not in you. Lust does not have to be a sexual thing, although that is the example here. Some of us are having inappropriate relationships with catalog patio furniture. Thank you for laughing at that. Right? Some of us, like we think this next pair of shoes, right, or, or this tool is going to finally pull us all together and make life worth living again. That's a lust. And, and this moves to the, the final point that I want to make is that, that part of what the church has done, especially focusing on the sexual aspect of lust, is it, is it said, "You have to get that out of you." And so we do this work of saying, you've got to stop basically being sinful. You, you've got to stop lusting. and I'm not saying't you you, I'm not saying that's not true. But Jesus, Jesus doesn't say that because lust is in all of us and it is not getting out of you until you go to be with him any more than anger is not getting out of you until you go to be with him any more than greed is not getting out of you. Which is why his remedy for this, which is the, the, the proper use of the law that we'll get to, is not get rid of your sinful nature. It's here's what you do to hedge it off. Now, why, why do I labor here at this point specifically? Because I know that there are people in this room that are so beat down and shame ridden because of sexual lust in your heart and behaviors that this has led to in your life. And I'm not saying that, that experiencing and feeling all of that shame and guilt is bad. You should feel the shame of your sin to an extent and how it hurts us hurts you, and hurts other people. But some of you, some of you are feeling it because you have been told or have picked up somewhere that the goal of this text, and probably more so the goal of the Christian life, is to somewhere, somehow, stop sexual lust in your heart altogether. And while I long for that day, which is why I long for heaven, that is not the goal Because it's not actually possible in this life any more than saying, I will no longer experience sinful anger. Or I will no longer experience the greed of my heart. It's sin. And the church has done a wonderful job changing the lyrics on this, right? One, to say that it's it's not and it can be eradicated from our hearts. We confuse the issue. But we also, instead of saying, hey, this is why Jesus had to die. And I want to say that to you this morning, as much as I'm saying it to myself. Do you understand the implications of the remedy to your sin problem? Wasn't that you could pray it away? Somebody had to die. Stay there with me. We're going to talk about how how we handle this, (laughs) but I really think we need to hear this this morning and maybe be uncomfortable with it because I am saying that this is an aspect of your sinful nature that is not going away, and there are some spouses in this room, right? So the first part is like, hey, you need to feel that shame and guilt at the same time. Maybe that shame and guilt is because you are trying to do something that Jesus is not saying is something you should be doing, or can do. At the same time, their needs for, for spouses in the room, if your desire for your husband or for your wife is that they would be eradicated of their lust, that is not what is, what is getting at here in the biblical text. And rather, moving in and towards that individual, to walk with them through it, to grieve it as best as you can, is more of what the text is getting at, which we'll see in a minute. But Jesus is in no way treating us as though whether it's anger or whether it's lust, this is somehow getting out of you. And the reason why this is so important is because if you don't think this is your struggle, then you just pass over this like everybody else does. Which means you don't run to Jesus for your sexual purity at the least. And there isn't anybody here who doesn't need to run to Jesus in order to be sexually pure. Virgin or not on your wedding day. You will need that until you go to be with him. Do not cut off the redemption that he offers for all of your life. I'm not saying that this means you struggle with it. We're gonna get to that. It is there because you are of Adam. But in the new life that you have in Christ, yes, there is new life there. And we're going to get to that. But that is there. And until we get on the same page with that, what Jesus is about to tell you is not going to make any sense. You're going to keep running into the wall. Which is why the law is not beautiful to you. And that's my, that's my, my bone to pick. And Christianity is just like running into that wall. Got to fix it, got to fix it, got to fix it, got to fix it. You are running in the wrong direction, running after the wrong righteousness. I'm not saying that you don't need to fight this. Again, I keep saying we're going to get there, but this is, this is the issue, okay? Now, this is about adultery. This is about keeping the seventh commandment. This is about changing the lyrics, and you need to do business with that a little bit, how are you changing the lyrics here? right? All of us would say we don't need to commit adultery. right? How are you sidestepping that and sort of forgetting that this is actually something that Jesus is calling us to in the spirit of the law? How are you running to a righteousness that will never make you whole because you misunderstand what the text is asking and what it's saying? You have an entirely new relationship to the law. You're not looking to the law for your righteousness. And that changes the way that you think about your sexuality. It changes the way you think about this commandment. It changes the way that you think about things like lust on a day to day basis. And until we get there, it will not be beautiful to us. Okay, so what do we do? Well, I've already said it. We have to run to Jesus, we have to know where to run. Right. Here's another place where the law condemns us and says we uh, we don't we don't measure up. Okay, that is poverty of spirit again. Whether you are lusting over uh, somebody else's spouse or an individual or over patio furniture. Right. That is breaking the commandment for various reasons. And so you need to know where to run. That's poverty of spirit. Grieve it. Bring people into that with you who you trust that can grieve that with you, who can hold you accountable. Stand there in a meekness that says, I'm ready, right, to receive and, and humble myself and, and come to what will actually give me the righteousness I desire, which is a hunger and thirst for it, that you might go to Jesus. Because when we do that, we stop running into walls. And we start running to Jesus, whether it's in our forgiveness, asking for forgiveness in the ways that we don't hold this, and allowing His Spirit now to change us, to make the direction that we're going to Him, to live and love the law because we love Him, knowing we're no longer condemned by it, the reason and the motivation for our Christian life. And this gets the proper use of the law. This is, this is everything about where Jesus goes next. So let's go there. Jesus turns in verse 29 to 30, and he gives us an illustration of what it looks like to fulfill the spirit of the law as it pertains to the seventh commandment. That's what he's after. He's he's crushed us. He said, like, if you thought of this, if you thought about lust in this way and all the ways I've described at any any point in time, you've broken this command, you you deserve death. But because your relationship to the law has changed because my relationship to you has changed because I've come and I've died for that, Now you can be set free to go fulfill it. And that's what he addresses. And so what does he say? He says, look, it's not not going away until glorification. So what do you do? You take it seriously. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. Why? It is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. Same thing with your right hand. Now, let's start at the 30,000-foot view here. Right? We're at the 30,000-foot level. We're going to look out over uh, the, you know, the broad stroke of this view. Jesus anchors the seriousness of the sin here with death. That's the first thing I want you to see. He is saying there are, there are two ways to die here, right? There are two ways to die. Sin will destroy you. Lust, in this case, it will destroy you from the inside out. This isn't just sort of a don't break the commandment so that you don't go to hell, this is a, this will eat you alive, like any sin will. So You can die that way, or you can die by cutting off, as it were, the short-lived pleasures and joys that you think your lusts and the things that your heart wants will give you. You can die to those instead and enter into an eternity of joy and pleasure in the presence of the Father. Why, is this, why does he anchor this in death? We, we don't think about it this way because of our medical technology, but the cutting off the hand and the eye, that's a death sentence. You're not running to the hospital and, and getting that necessarily. Like you, you might survive it, but that is, that is ultimately going to kill you more times than not. They're not, they're not going to you know, the local hospital and saying, hey, will you sear this and sew this up? Taking out an eye, right? and not to mention the aspect of work and what then you'd be relied on for the rest of your life if you couldn't see, or you couldn't you couldn't do labors and work. So they would associate this as like this is this is saying the same thing. This is death. Which death do you want? Do you want the death uh, that is eternal that 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 rots you from the inside out that separates and cuts you off from the Lord? Or do you want a death that looks like, look, I will, I will forego the instant gratification that I think this will give me for the eternal pleasure and joy waiting for me in the presence of the Father? And so what he does is he asks them to take appropriate measures for this because this is death. This is death, and it needs to be taken as serious as that. You wouldn't take Tylenol to cure cancer. And if you did, you have a bad doctor, or you 100% underestimate what is going on in your body. And this is what Jesus is trying to tell his disciples. This is the seriousness of it. If you're not willing to take drastic measures to eradicate this from from your life, you might as well be taking, you don't know what's in you. And we need to, we need to take a few steps back and talk about that. But this is, this is why he starts here. Let's, let's go down to 10,000 feet. Why is delaying instant gratification now a proper use of the law? Doesn't God want me to be happy, we might think. Well, The proper use of the law, as we said, is not just to not commit adultery. It is also to work towards preserving and nurturing the oneness of marriage in this case, whether that be your own or someone else's. And this is for both marrieds and singles in this room, right? Just because I'm single doesn't mean I'm allowed right, to mess with a marriage or do whatever I want in my dating life for that matter. Why? Because of what the law points to. We'll get to that. But keeping the seventh commandment, both its letter and its spirit, is for everyone to do what is necessary to work towards either preserving or nurturing one marriage or someone else's. Right? But it is broader than that. Right? Keeping the seventh commandment is for marrieds and singles to practice what we uh, in the church have called chastity for centuries. What is chastity? It's a forgotten virtue, which is sexual purity throughout all of life, whether you're married or not. The church is also done a wonderful job of removing this idea in our lives because in our culture, we have said that marriage is the pinnacle of life because sex is the pinnacle of life. And until you get married, right, until you, until you experience that, right, you're not really experiencing life. And, but once you do, then all bets are off. You don't, you don't have to uh, worry about sexual purity at that point because you've made it. And that has never been the ethic in Scripture. If anything, right, the ante is up if you get married. You've not only made vows to the Lord, you've made vows to somebody else. And so your your drive, as it were, for sexual purity is just changed because of the context. But all of us are in the same boat here as we follow Jesus with our sexuality that doesn't belong to us. It looks different it's the same purpose. It's the same mission. As we submit our bodies to him, which might just look like, look, yes, sex is for a particular context in this life. It's for marriage only. But even when you're married, like, does it allow me to go and, and, and look at anybody I want to in, in, in lustful ways? Any more than that if I'm single, then I'm allowed to just go sleep with whoever I want to. There is an ethic in the Bible that God calls us to in every station of life, and this commandment gets at it, okay? This is what it means to preserve, in some senses, and nurture the oneness of marriage, whether that be your own or someone else's. That's part of the commandment. What are you doing personally if you're married to nurture and preserve that? And we'll... Whatever is working against it, Jesus is saying, you have got to cut that off. You've got to take that out of your life. It is that important. What does that look like? What does it mean to remove an eye or a hand in this case? And this gets us to ground level. Let's get really practical. Uh, Late on time. Uh, I'll be brief here. For some of you, it means you cannot have a smartphone. For some of you, it means you cannot have Instagram or be on social media. For some of you, it means that you have to delete a person's contact in your phone that is either not your spouse or somebody that you think about often and hope that maybe they'll call you. Or maybe you text every once in a while just to touch base. For some, it means you need to stop going to this part of town and this place because of who you see there and where that sends you. In other words, it is different for everybody. But it is crucial for everybody because we all have those seeds laying here. The idea is that it would become dormant, but they're still there. But it's different for everyone. And so the question becomes, what are the things in your particular life that feed this? And what are you doing to eradicate those things from your life. See the difference? See where Jesus takes us? I have a friend who uses a flip phone. In 2023, he uses a flip phone. Half of y'all don't even know what a flip phone is anymore. He gets laughed at. He misses out on all the joys of modern technology, of all the group chats, of all the Facebook posts, and the Instagram pictures, and all the, the, the cool things you can do on Snapchat, et cetera. Et cetera. He misses out on all of that which actually sounds like heaven right now, but that's another discussion. Um, he suffers not relating necessarily. And I say this to our youth in here. I know you want that phone and, and you tell your parents, like, this is how we're relating, and there's a truth to that. So for some of you, it might mean I miss out on relating to my peers in the way that they relate to one another because I'm following Jesus. But what is my friend doing? He is not trying to remove the seeds of adultery from his heart. He is stewarding those seeds in a way that never lets them catch fire. He is starving the cold. I have another friend who would not meet me for lunch uh, on the college campus. It It was silly, and it was an inconvenience to me at the time where I worked, but now I get it. That issue was not my issue, but it was this person's issue, which was voyeurism. He wouldn't ever go look at a pornographic website, but he would find himself in his mind going in places it shouldn't just by simply watching people walk around campus. And so he said, I can't go there anymore. That might sound silly to you. You are not understanding the weight of the problem. It is death. And Jesus is saying to him, it is worth you, inconveniencing Ryan, first of all, it is worth you not going to a certain place if that's what it means to preserve your marriage, your children's lives, if you have them, or the lives of other people involved. He is not failing. He is not weak or or any woman who would do this. He is not an immature Christian. He is living out the seventh commandment. Martin Luther has this great quote, it's one thing for a bird to land in your hair. It's another thing to let it build a nest right? It, it, it's, it's, we can't avoid being in contact with one another. And I want to say this before we wrap up here. Beauty is not the problem. It is, it is good and right for you to recognize beauty in male and female. It is, it is good and right for you to look at somebody that's walking down the street like, that is a beautiful person. That's a bird in your hair. What the law is probing you to uh, avoid is allowing that bird to build nests. Because you follow a different ethic. You follow a different king. You are a part of a different kingdom. And more importantly, that nest, as it were, is not going to satisfy. And I'll land the plane here because we're out of time. But this gets to the heart of the matter right? Like you, we don't need to wear blinders or burqas, right? You don't need to be afraid of beauty. First look's for free. The second look, that's on you. You've got to do business with your own heart. You've got to realize, what am I after when I look back at this image or back at this person? And here's what you're after. Here's what the heart, here's what the heart is saying. God is not good. He's keeping something from me. That's it. If I, would just, if I could just have that, I know he brought me this spouse, but if I could have that or if I could look at this, right then, then I would find that, that happiness and joy that my heart seems to want. You won't. And everybody in here knows that. Like, There's no amount of patio furniture that has satisfied that longing in your heart. So we have to run to Jesus again and we have to go to him over and over, right, with the help of everybody else, right, recognizing that, no, 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 stop running into that wall for your own righteousness. At the same time, stop running in the direction of going after these idols of the heart, right, these lusts that you think are going to satisfy when Jesus has said, for those that hunger and thirst for, for him, he will satisfy. And there's, a, there, there's every bit of level of distrust in that statement, which is why I come back to you, you don't think he's good, and the remedy here of the seventh commandment is, is both working to preserve other people's marriages and, and the sexual fidelity that we're all called to, but it is, also, it is also longing and trying your best to believe that God has not kept any good thing from you. And how do you do that? You come back to this table and you look at it. And this is not going to fix your dopamine rush right now that, you're, that you want but what it's going to do, is going to remind you of where true rest is found. Because everything that our hearts go after in that direction that Jesus is calling us away from, it is empty, it is empty, it is empty. It will not satisfy. What will? He will. Which brings us back to the final question of why obey? It's to know him. You're not obeying to become righteous. You are Righteous. You are obeying because you love the one who has made you righteous. And that, friends, changes everything. So much more to say about this. I apologize to land the plane so so abruptly, but I think we were actually at ground level if I go back to my illustration. Let me pray for us and uh, we'll move on. Heavenly Father, you've given us uh, this text, and it has a lot of implications for our context, for sure, and our culture. And I pray that you would not stop this conversation, as it were, that you would not stop your living word from moving in and through your people um, so that we would know the beauties of this law, so that we would, would, would know the wonders of, of how it teaches us about you. And what is that? It's the oneness that you have promised us. It's the reality that you are actually waiting, that you will not experience unmixed joy until you return and have all of us together. In other words, you are not selling out for instant pleasure and gratification. You are longing for your people to be together, all of us, as Revelation 11 points us towards, or Hebrews 11 would we see your waiting and say, hey, that's, that's good enough for me. I can wait too. And in the process, continue to move more towards what is true and right and really what our hearts long for anyway. Would you do that for us and would you do it for your glory, we pray. Amen.